Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. This is exciting. This is this is a momentous episode. Yeah, this is my 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 glorious return. Or no, no, no. Well, this, that okay. yes, absolutely. You're back behind the wheel. Thank goodness. Yeah, back behind the wheel with a video that or with a episode that I wrote <laughs> back in November. So it's like okay, like what did, Wait, I, what did I do again? What did Tristan write again? Uh, we that was will me. Never stop saying video. <laughs> no, no, it's too ingrained in my head. But uh, but yeah, Scott, there is a bit of a special answer or a bit of a special way to start this particular episode of It's Probably Not Aliens. Yeah. Which is at least as far as we know right now, mm-hmm. this is the closest we could get to it may be possibly, probably not, but mm, could be <laughs> aliens. Aliens. Yeah, that's 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 the that's the that's a teaser of this one. And you're going to have to find to make a you're going to have to find a way to make a wonderful episode title out of the topic of today's <laughs> episode, which is that. named ALH 84001. That is a lot to, to that is a lot and also nothing. It's like, <laughs> yeah, know? let's see. Uh, it's an SCP or something like that, right? Um, we'll we'll figure out a catchy title for it. But hey, folks, this is It's Probably Not Aliens, a podcast where we look at uh, ancient aliens and ancient astronaut theory and just conspiracy theories about aliens in general. And we usually debunk them while teaching you a lot about interesting uh, history and cultures and sometimes science. But it sounds like today we might not debunk aliens. We might confirm aliens. Okay, well, uh, I feel like if that was the case, it would have made the news. That's um, true. But OK, let, let's just get let's get into a little bit about this. So ancient aliens. Well, uh, introduce when, yourself first. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gotta, I'm Tristan yeah. John. And I I am really, really stretching my knowledge of science, uh, material science and biology for today. And I'm Scott Nicewander. I am back to my rightful place after the last two episodes of being the one to present information. I am now back into my uh, my comfort zone of knowing nothing. I know nothing about this. And Tristan's going to talk to me about it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. 
Uh, and also no pressure, but I got an email yesterday saying that my old PhD supervisor listens to the show. So hi, Rob. Uh, so we had a good rapport. So sweet. Oh, also, can I just say really quickly on the on the idea of me knowing nothing? A couple episodes ago, when uh, when we had Trey the Explainer on, I mentioned that the Jonas Brothers made the song Year 3000, and apparently they just covered that song, uh, and everyone wanted to let me know that I was wrong. Yeah, so. that's a bigger mistake than my Homo erectus equaling Neanderthal uh, <laughs> slip up. So thank you for everyone for sending corrections about the big stuff and the little stuff we appreciate it at mm-hmm. probs not aliens on twitter anyway the way that twitter works is that the lower the stakes of the disagreement the more ferocious it is that's <laughs> that's generally how it works that's yes, true um have you watched a movie by uh, a mr david cronenberg called the thing oh yes i have seen this about a alien that shows up in antarctica and does a bunch of body horror i actually haven't seen it but that's about generally the oh, gist really? of what i would think um it's good it's real good hey hot take it's a good movie yeah i'll probably watch it at some point i i'm i'm weird enough that my experience of david cronenberg is him uh playing a role in the cast of star trek discovery right now Anyways, we're going to a new place that we haven't been to before in the history of this podcast, and that is we are going to Antarctica. Um, yes. So, well, we've cut, we've tackled Antarctica a little bit with yeah, the, Piri the, map, the Piri map. map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I remember that Scott is an itty bitty baby with an itty bitty head. Thank uh, you. So you would not have been uh, as old as I was, but I was like you know prime, like a seven year, seven or eight year old when this was going down. So it was like designed to make me excited. But um, in 1996, Mm -hmm. NASA said that they might have found in Antarctica a meteorite that came from Mars and that inside this meteorite was evidence of fossilized bacteria. Okay, this is sounding familiar. Have we talked about this in 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 another episode before? I can't remember. It's probably not, but it's got a very like wide area. Like it's a it's a pretty this is a pretty well-known part of okay. of Mars lore. And so the meteor goes by the name of the very, very, uh, you know, catchy name of ALH84001. Great. Now, Al. on Ancient Al. Aliens. Can we just call it Al? Al? Okay. So Al. Yeah. Um, now, in Ancient Aliens, they said that they basically didn't even have any pause. They were like, oh, yeah, like you guys think that aliens are so out there. But in Antarctica in the 80s, we found one already. So like, you know, this is already established. And I'm like, wait, oh, hmm, OK. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling that if that was the case, it would have again, it would have made the news. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. Although I do have a theory that uh, with our social media being the way it is, that we will at some point discover evidence of extraterrestrial life or even extraterrestrial intelligence. And it will go through the news cycle. People will have takes. There will be a couple educational YouTube videos about it. And uh-huh. like a month and a half later, we'll just be back to normal. Yeah, it'll be like a TikTok <laughs> meme for a week and a half. Yeah, there'll be like a meme about like uh, what the alien, like, like um, what's it called? Like my aliens or something like that. Like, I don't know. They'll, they'll, they'll take like the signal and mix it into a dubstep thing and they'll put it onto the throat singing thing from Dune. It'll be perfect. Yeah. There'll be a whole dance about it that people will learn and make memes about. It's going to be a good 
week and a half. Uh, before it's just like, yeah, aliens exist. So what? I still got to get up and go to work tomorrow. So did we find evidence of alien life in Antarctica in the 1980s? Now, did the news cycle in the 1980s work as quickly as today? Well, we'll find out that they it was discovered in the 80s, but it wasn't uh, speculated that there was life in it until the 90s. Okay. But the answer to all of this is... Maybe. Probably not, but mm -hmm. there's a little bit more of a question mark than there has been in previous episodes of this show. I I heard some glint of hope in there, (laughs) some potentiality. Yes, there is some disagreements between different types of scientists. Um, although, albeit though, one that is very pro-meteor being uh, fossils is the people who published the thing in the first place and would have a lot of motivation to really, really, really want it to be alien. Uh, so, a little but, bias but, but, there. Okay, well, so, well, let's, yeah. Let's, just, let's, we'll chew in now. We'll see where it goes. Let, let's tell, tell, tell me about this. So this is a meteorite, yes? Uh, that is the rumor that this is a meteorite. All right. So. The meteorite in quotes. Yeah. So it was found in a place called the... Uh, called Allen Hills in Antarctica on December 27th, 1984. Oh, Allen Hills is a very interesting area. uh, And this is sort of the thing that inspired the thing, uh, this, this region. Because what it is, is it's this field in the snow, right? So pure white. Uh, And over a period of, because of like the way the geography is shaped, over a period of centuries, the snow kind of very slowly flows in a direction and also kind of bunches up in a certain area. Why this is interesting is asteroids land all over the world all the time. Constantly. Including Antarctica. Now, asteroids typically are black and black things on a white surface are very easy to find. Furthermore... Super contrasty, yeah. Yeah. Furthermore, the way that the snow flows, a bunch of them get caught in this sort of little area before they actually eventually make it out to the sea. But there's sort of like an area where because of the way that the the flow of the snow goes, there's Mm. a really good place to go and find meteorites. So it was discovered by a group called the ANSMET Project, which was a uh, basically it was a group done by the Office of Polar Programs for the National Science Foundation. Uh, Good old American funded public science. And they were geologists who went around in Antarctica on snowmobiles looking for meteorites. Sounds like a pretty fun way to spend uh, the Antarctic summer. How do you get that job? I want to do that. Can I? Can anyone do that? Do I have to be a geologist first before I get to do the? You probably cool have stuff? to be a geologist. Man, you just be like, I found a meteor. That's a penguin. Uh. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm looking for a black thing on a white thing. I got it. It's a meteor. Is this so? I I don't want to spoil anything that you might be. I don't know if maybe I'm just slow to put this together. But is it called ALH eighty four oh oh one because it was found in Allen Hills in eighty four and it was the first one they found and only one they found. Very astute, Scott. You got it. I did it. <laughs> um, that's how it got its very unique and colorful name. So we're you not far off by nicknaming it Al. Yeah. So um. <laughs> After So what happens is these meteors land in the snow, snow falls on them, they flow down this area, they get stuck at a certain point, 
and then the wind sort of erodes the snow away. Uh, and so you get this area where there's a big higher concentration of meteorites and they're easy to find because it's black on white. That's mm-hmm. that's the trick. And this region was uh, apparently part of the inspiration for the thing and also an inspiration for uh, probably the novel I am the most ashamed to have read. Um, it's called Deception Point. Okay. Um, I do not recommend. So Deception Point is a novel by Dan Brown uh, of uh, of Da Vinci Code Code fame. This is his like this is pre Da Vinci Code. All right. And uh, spoiler alert for a very bad novel. But it basically it's about a guy who a a guy who fabricates finding an asteroid with fossils on it in order to help because there's a presidential election happening at that time. Okay. Where one of the candidates is campaigning on cutting all funding to NASA. And so they make this fake asteroid in order to get this guy to lose the election and get, oh, make I sure see. that NASA gets funding. That's wild. In a very Dan Brown fashion. So like each chapter was like six words long and... Uh, <laughs> Like, yeah. You know, I never read any of Dan Brown's books, but I always that's the thing that people always say about it is like, that's the reason people keep reading it, because it's such a quick like, you know, just every chapter is like 30 seconds long. Yeah. I have weirdly enough read Dan Brown novels and there are there is a time where there is uh, two chapter headings on the same page. So, oh my gosh, yeah, it's, it's intense. That's pretty well, thankful. I mean, that's good use of the page. At least he didn't have to skip like do a whole page break or anything. Mm-hmm. Thanks for looking out for the environment, Dan Brown. Yeah. So when they found Al, they mm. immediately thought that, oh, this likely came from Mars, a planet we are very interested in because it has a very um, there's a lot of evidence that in its past there was a lot of conditions on the surface that were amicable to life. Okay. To the point where, you know, some of the more adventurous theorists might think that life on Earth might have gotten its start on a meteorite from Mars. Yes. I think we talked about that in one of our first two episodes. Yeah, it's panspermia is the concept. Yes. So this uh, this this asteroid was uh, about a little under two kilograms or um, in American 4.3 pounds. Thank you for converting for me. And it was uh, shaped apparently like a, quote, rounded brick or large potato and about six inches long by four inches by three inches. And because it because because of the um, friction of the Earth's atmosphere when it was coming in, when it burned up, the outside looks like it's covered in tar. And what it actually is, is like a sort of um, crust uh, called fusion crust that happens when meteors Ooh. come through the Earth's atmosphere. Now, does Matt Damon know about this large potato from Mars? No, he uh, unfortunately, he died on Mars. He didn't realize the potatoes were full of perchlorates, and so he was poisoned. Oh, um, no. Because uh, R.I.P. He's doing like cryptocurrency ads nowadays anyway. Yeah, screw him. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Get, go, get away, Matt Damon. Yeah, that's our, that's, it's, pro- it's probably not real money. That's going to be the next podcast we do. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Al, people got really excited about Al when they first saw it because it looked like it was green, which is a really good sign that there were biomarkers. But then when they got home, when they took it back to, uh, to study it, they was like, okay, it's much more gray. But what really stuck out about this particular meteorite is that it's thought to be one of the oldest Martian meteorites ever found, possibly crystallized from molten rock over Four billion years ago. Okay. Now that's interesting. It's a really old, really old rock. Yeah. Really old space rock. Mm-hmm. Probably in a volcano. Another- oh, that's even cooler. <laughs> yeah. 
Another really, really cool thing about this asteroid is that the chemical composition of it suggests that when it was formed was during the time when Mars was a lot warmer and a lot wetter. So there's oh, liquid better water. better for life. Yeah. Yeah. And there have been other meteorites that have what are called potential biological markers or biosignatures. So like chemicals that chemical compounds that tend to possibly signal that they're there, that they were created by life. But no meteor was from the time when Mars was wet, when it was at its most likely to actually have life on it. Okay. So uh, as far as we know, the only meteorite that originates from liquid water time Mars is Al. Just to show All how right special Al. this meteorite is. Yeah, lots riding on Al. Mm -hmm. So they likely think that a meteor hit Mars about 17 million years ago, blasting the rock into space. And then about 13,000 years ago, it made its way to Earth, where it... Uh, fell from the sky and landed in Antarctica. Antarctica. Oh, man. Glad we found it. Could have just landed in the ocean. Yeah. We never find it's it. More likely than not, it would have done that, right? Yeah. And yeah, so that that, that so that's like, that's the rough timeline for from 4.1 billion years ago to 13,000 years ago. A long journey for this rock. Very long journey. Mm -hmm. But Al made it. So here's some interesting things to show you about why uh, Mars this time was so interesting. One, uh, an isotopic analysis indicated that the carbonates, uh, you know, this is science words. Okay. But, um, uh, basically a study of the isotopes, which is sort of uh, charged particles in it, uh, showed that Al probably turned into a rock when Mars had a temperature of about 18 degrees Celsius, which is 64 degrees American. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for more conversions. Okay. And that there was water and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. All right. That that sounds important. The carbon and oxygen isotope ratios imply that the carb uh, from the deposition of the carbonates uh, means that it uh, implied that it was on a surface that gradually uh, evaporated, which means that it probably was in a shallow aquifer less mm. than 10 meters below the surface of the of the planet. Of Mars? Yes. Oh, so, so there's, okay. Close to the surface, warm temperature. Water. Water, yeah. carbon dioxide. This is, these are feeling like the juices of life happening yeah, here. Exactly. And in further research, like people are still looking at this meteor. It's still a priceless artifact. You imagine there's not a ton of Mars rocks on Earth. All of our rovers, not many, none of them have come back. So we haven't really had to be able to <laughs> get our one hands. way trip so far. Yeah, so this is the only time we've ever been able to really get our hands on a Mars rock and really look at it. But apparently in April of 2020, some researchers discovered that there are actually nitrogen bearing organics on in the in and Al. Oh, this is recent then. Yeah, the, the, there's still there's a still an ongoing story. Yeah. And um, as we learned, though, in the episode with Lena Vincent, organics are not necessary for not necessarily life, but it is a sign of something interesting that could be life. Oh, see, I like that because many people have pointed out that my job on this podcast is just to say interesting every every couple of minutes. <laughs> and so with you, when you're saying that finding organics isn't necessarily life, but it is interesting, yeah. I have to agree. It is 
Interesting. The astrobiologists are very intrigued. They think it is also interesting. <laughs> and while we're on the topic of biosignatures, it's a little aside uh, because Lena's actually been talking about it on her TikTok and I wanted to bring it up, which is that also Curiosity, the current Mars rover that we've got going around and doing stuff, has found an enrichment of carbon-12 on the surface of Mars. So um, forgive me, everybody who knows anything about science, but from what I can tell, carbon is basically, an, uh, as far as we know, it's a necessary, um, like, you know, thing for life because sure. it makes crystalline shapes really easily. And it's like it's really easy to like, it's like, a, it's like almost like the most Lego-y of yeah. atoms. Connects together all good. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things is that uh, ions, which is like whether or not it has extra electrons or not enough electrons, means that it has a sort of charge. Now, there's, uh, there's three major ways that carbon can be. Uh, I don't can't really explain it, uh, but like it's carbon 12, 13, and 14, primarily carbon 12 and 13. On Earth, carbon 12 specifically is the organic compound that is very often in living things and created and processed through living processes. Now, there are plenty of ways to make carbon-12 in these kinds of concentrations that are not biological, but they are, but it is a possible explanation of the many explanations. Mm. And this just happened. This happened this in like is, January. This is news. This is hot off the presses. So the, 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 the voyage to discover if Mars had life on it at one point is still very hot. We are, we and with curiosity, especially we are tantalizingly close to maybe getting some very interesting answers in the next little bit. Yeah. So this is kind of like a throwback to a previous time when we were looking at this and when we were uh, thinking about Mars rocks having life on them. Yeah. I. It's there's something about I mean, I know I know that there's like legitimate reasons, everything that you've laid out, but there is just something so special about Mars specifically having life on it like the martians have just been a part of science fiction forever and to to confirm any would be uh just spectacular uh in a, a very fun way yeah. furthermore if we find out that there was life on mars even if it's very simple if we find out that that life also developed in a completely different biochemistry than ourselves, then that means that we have had two incidents of life forming in this solar system, which yeah. says a lot, hopefully, about the con the idea that there's life elsewhere in the universe. Because if it's happened twice in our solar system, so close by, yeah, that it's it's possible that it could be an like life could be in almost every solar system. Life um, could be everywhere. Life yeah. could be all around us and we wouldn't know. And if not Mars, there are still a lot of very interesting corners that we can look in. Like um, there are still some moons of Jupiter that you'll love this. They're like big balls of ice. And okay. because of the gravity of other Ju Jovian moons and Jupiter itself, it gets kind of like deformed like this, like you're kneading, like kneading pizza dough. Oh, fun. And this creates uh, heat on the inside of these like ice ball moons. Yeah, like friction, Enough right? that the interior has liquid water. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. So uh, and the big one is Europa. So there's some there's some cool. I'm sorry. I'm like going down all these like astrobiology circles. No, but there could be an inside ocean. There could be an inside ocean filled with lots of interesting cr critters and creatures. Yes. All I would love. I, I, for one, would love to see the inside ocean. That would be fun. I'm going to take a big take a big cannonball into that inside ocean. Mm hmm. 
What are the words that I say on this podcast, Tristan? What are, why do I say these words? Like the, it's, they're just nonsense words that come out of yeah. my mouth every so often. It's all fun. It's all fun. That's how we get um, destroy me history, daddy. Ruin me history, ruin me history daddy. daddy. Yeah. Um, just to throw another fun one while we're at it. Why not? Is if you want to be a little bit more exotic, there is a, pl- a moon called Titan around Saturn that we, if it's not water that we require, but we require like liquid, a like kind of like liquid to do biochemistry in. A little stew, yeah. Yeah, Titan is, it's so cold that it has water on it that is in the form of ice that's as hard as rock, but it has, but methane, which is a gas here, it's mm-hmm. so cold that the methane is liquid and it has a sort of like methane-like water cycle where it like evaporates and it rains liquid Whoa. methane. Yeah. All right. The, man, space is wild. Yeah. Has anyone talked about this before? Space is wild. Space is wild. Uh, speaking of space being wild, so 1984, we discover Al. Scientists take it back to their laboratories, poke around with it, mess around, write papers about it. And then in 1996, mm. a group of scientists discover something what they think is very interesting. Mm. How old were you in 1996? 1996, I would have turned eight that year, that eight. November. I would have turned... <laughs> I have to do math and it's like three. I would have been like three years old, I think. Yeah. So you can imagine being yeah. a seven or eight year old, this being very fun. I do remember when this came, when this uh, was discovered because I was mm-hmm. also a giant nerd when I was a child. Uh, some things never change. <laughs> We're not too far off in age then. If I would have been four and you would have been eight. Yeah. I For think some it's... reason, I thought you all, every time I mention that I'm I'm in my, I'm 29, you're always just like, oh, Scott, wait until yeah. your 30s. I like for as if you're like, late 30s or something because no. i have a kid i'm like you know i've i'm eight i'm old at heart um <laughs> but yeah i was just born in 1988 so there so you I, go. ronald reagan was president but oh well that's not your fault yeah i know so in 1996 they find something very interesting which is possible evidence of microscopic fossils that look like bacteria okay. and from the way they talk about it, it doesn't look like it's contamination it looks like this is a fossil of a bacteria from mars so i did not know fossils could be that small unless these are really big bacteria actually they're extremely, extremely small. And we'll get into why that might be a problem. Okay. But yeah, like very, very, very small bacteria. So this is a huge deal. Y- yeah, I would assume so. On August 6th, 1996, uh, a team of researchers led by NASA scientists, including the lead author of the paper on this, who's a guy named David S. McKay, who will remember that name. Uh, he announced that this meteorite might have had trace evidence of life on Mars. And this was the day before they published the article. Now, remember when I said like, hey, if like we discovered life, that probably would have made the news. This made the news. What? Um, they published the article in Science, which is like literally the biggest science journal there is. And immediately this made headlines around the world. Uh, at one point, even President Bill Clinton uh, made a speech about the discovery. Yes, this is wild. You've put a link in the in the notes here. Yeah, maybe we can put like a, a real fun little clip in here so I can just give you more work while you're like, no, I'll, tr- I'll try to remember. I was going to say, should we listen to it? But it's 10 minutes long, so we're not going to listen to the entirety of it. But I definitely want to pull a fun clip. Good afternoon. It is well worth contemplating how we reached this moment of discovery. More than four billion years ago, this piece of rock was formed as a part of the original crust of Mars. 
After billions of years, it broke from the surface and began a 16 million year journey through space that would end here on Earth. Today, Rock 84001 speaks to us across all those billions of years and millions of miles. It speaks of the possibility of life. If this discovery is confirmed, it will surely be one of the most stunning insights into our universe that science has ever uncovered. Its implications are as far-reaching and awe-inspiring as can be imagined. Even as it promises answers to some of our oldest questions, it poses still others even more fundamental. We will continue to listen closely to what it has to say as we continue the search for answers and for knowledge that is as old as humanity itself, but essential to our people's future. So this, was this the moment? Was this first contact? Did we find fossilized bacteria from a Martian meteorite? Is, from, from day one, this was already controversial. You couldn't, like, Tristan, you know I love you. You're a good pal of mine. <laughs> you couldn't let me live in that question and that thought for more than two seconds. Like, yeah, did we? Did we find it? And immediately you're shutting it down. That's so cruel. Well, this event set off a fight, and the scientists have been fighting ever since. All right. Well, let's let's hear about it. So I will point out, I don't want to be completely like, I don't want to like, you know, stir false controversy or false like uh, consensus. The wider scientific community doesn't think that this is, um, that this is, this is alien life. Oh man. Because basically over the years since they made this announcement in 1996, uh, many studies have been done trying to figure out what kind of non-biological processes might have created these fossils and other sort of indicators of life that are in this asteroid as well. And so far there have been non-biological explanations for all of them. Aww. But yeah, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but, um, but that, that because those are, those don't require, uh, assuming that there is life on another world, which is something that we've never seen before, they are more likely solutions. They require less assumptions. A little Occam's razor sort of yeah. thing. But despite that, okay, Al was a huge deal for science in general. Even if it's not convincing evidence that there was life on Mars, this paper uh, and the attention that it got was one of the biggest turning points in the developing science of astrobiology. Astrobiology itself would not be close to where it is today if it wasn't for the buzz and attention that this that Al brought in this 1996 announcement. That's amazing. I'm excited to hear about what all they found and and uh, all the all the fun things that have paved the way for this new this new field of science. You gonna tell me about it? I will, Scott. After cereal or. <laughs> Mattress. After some great brand advertising, if there is any, there might just be a small break. Who knows? Tristan, I love product so I much. I love product or it's service. It's my favorite part. Product or service. Both of them. If I could have both. Oh, don't make me choose. Don't make me choose between product or service. They're both yeah. great. I have a young son that I would clearly. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I would sell for product and service. I've had this little scoundrel for just a couple weeks and already I can tell he's worth at least a couple months of service. 
and or a couple orders of product. Oh, he's great. I love him very much. Please don't take him away. Okay, so what did they find? What what did the 1996 paper really find? That's what I'm asking. Yeah, so let's take a look at the different things that they might have done, uh, might have found. So they how they looked at it is they looked at the asteroid under a scanning electron microscope which um, if you've ever seen any of those pictures, like if you've ever seen like, um, you've probably seen some like, you know, little news interest story of like, person makes world's smallest violin. And you see this like kind of like gray blurry thing. That is uh, looking at something under a scanning electron microscope. It uses kind of like, it shoots electrons at little things that are very, very small. Very small. So that you can image stuff. This is like the way that we can look at things that are like atoms in size and like do like nanotechnology work and things like that. That, you know, I want to look up one of these world's smallest violin because that, I don't know if I've seen this. Uh, oh no, I'm just getting a whole bunch of stock photos of people having itty bitty violins in their hands. <laughs> That's fine. I'm getting a lot of squilliam fancy son from SpongeBob. I'm just going to take your word for it. They're itty bitty violins that only electrons can see. Yeah, because they're like, they'll be like, this is one one hundredth the width of a human hair. Like, you know, that kind of, you've probably heard something like that, right? Yeah, I've seen, there's been stuff like that. Uh, I've, I've, I'm familiar with the concept. Mm-hmm. So under the scanning electron microscope, they found what they thought were uh, fossils of bacteria that was about 20 to 100 nanometers in diameter, which is key because what this would be is evidence of a theorized form of life, which they called nanobacteria, which is bacteria very smaller than any cellular life that exists on Earth. Um, When we're getting into that size, we're talking about viruses, but not like anything that actually has a cell. And what would 20 to 100 nanometers be in American? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the metro or if the imperial system goes that small. How many how many inches is that? Um, One like one. You know what? I'm going to freaking look this up now. (laughs) Um, 100 nanometers and inches. It is 3.93701 times 10 to the power of negative six of an inch. <laughs> oh, I understand now. I under I ha- now with that context and that framework, I now understand. This is pretty small then. Yeah, yeah, real, real small. Mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> think my measuring tape goes that small. <laughs> it's actually a very average size. Um, no. <laughs> Look, when you, pair it, when you compare it to like a bell curve, like it's it's right there, you know, like it's it's <laughs> oh man, really earning our tag today. Um, mm-hmm. So nanobacteria were proposed to be a class of organism um, that were smaller than what we thought was a lower limit of life, which is about 200 nanometers. Uh, something like a mycoplasma. But since this time, we've kind of come to the conclusion that really nanobacteria are probably not possible. It's probably not able to make bacteria or Um, bacteria really can't be that small. Is it just like physics gets in the way? Yeah, I think so. Sorry, Ant-Man. And so... It was, and it was already like nanobacteria were already controversial at the time of the study. So this already like, you know, um, was a problem. Like it was called the cold fusion of microbiology, Hmm. which was, uh, oh oh, man, I'm getting into cold fusion. Cold fusion was this thing that we thought that we were going to be able to do to make like a free energy source that did not require heating up, uh, hydrogen to like, you know, multiple times the temperature of the surface of the sun. 
and they were like, we could do it at a much lower temperature, cold fusion. And, and it was a thing that people were trying to do for a while. And it was it, it was not a thing that could happen. <laughs> Didn't work out. No. So it was sort of the nanobacteria were sort of uh, classified amongst that amongst them. So because of that, the fossils, the fossils, quotations, quote, heavy quotes are now suspected to probably not be fossils, but small, like non-living crystals, crystallization of like minerals and organic molecules. This is like a fossil of like some like molecules, basically. Oh, OK. <laughs> That's less exciting. Yeah. I mean, oh. still cool. Hey, look, still cool. People love their crystals. People love their rocks. So if the structures had been fossilized life forms, uh, as was proposed by the so-called biogenic hypothesis of their formation, it would have been the first solid evidence of the existence of extraterrestrial life, aside from their origin of being, except for the possibility that they were also terrestrial contamination, i.e. it was, you know, Earth bacteria that contaminated the sample. Oh, that feels... I mean, I don't want to like... They more or less ruled that out, but they're okay. also like, this All is right. probably not bacteria either. But it, but it, it was more likely contamination than it was like, you know, yeah. a new abiogenesis on Mars. That sounds fair. But uh, even so, McKay has pointed out that, you know, contamination in other samples doesn't look like this. Oh, this is, it's unique. It's got a, mm -hmm. a certain sort of structure. Yeah, and the shapes in Al do look like they're intergrown and embedded in the indigenous material, and contamination doesn't look like that. So yeah. probably not, it's probably not Earth bacteria that have become fossilized. If, if anything, it's, yeah, like I said, kind of small crystalline microstructures. Yeah, Mars crystals. Yeah, there you go. Mars crystals. Crystal Mars. Oh, I don't like the sound of that one either. So that's um so there's been some pushback on this. Um some people have pushed that this actually is microfossils actually. Uh, in January 2010, a team of scientists at Johnson Space Center, including McKay, uh, argued that since their original paper was published in November 2009, the biogenic hypothesis has been further supported by the discovery of three times the original amount of fossil-like data, including more, quote, biomorph suspected fossils within, inside two additional Martian meteorites, as well as more evidence in other parts of the Allen Hills meteorite itself. So there's been ongoing research. So as of 2009... Yeah. McKay is still on it. He's still arguing that these could be fossils. He's looked at other asteroids and seen similar structures and in other parts of the Allen Hills, in other parts of Al and found more of them. Okay. What he argues is that looking at them, you can see that these structures do resemble modern terrestrial bacteria and their appendages. And while some are much smaller than Earth microbes, others are 100 to 200 nanometers in size, which is a size bacteria can be. That's good. That's good then. That could be it. Mm -hmm. This could be it. They look like it. Some of them are the size of it. Yeah, there is a bacteria on Earth. It's actually the most common bacteria on earth called uh pelagopater ubique which is uh which these can be about 120 to 200 nanometers and mckay did not and as of 2009 dr or in 2010 drop the idea completely that nanobacteria might be a thing the, the completely hypothetical nanobacteria could be out there yeah so nanobacteria are theorized to be rna organisms that might have lived on earth during the time period when al was ejected from mars it also might have been as small 
small or smaller than these structures as modern RNA viruses and viroids are often as little as a few dozen nanometers. I did know that. I knew viruses were very, very, very small. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to, just so I'm getting this right, he's proposing and other people who are proposing this nanobacteria thing are saying it's nanobacteria it might not be around today, but it was around in the past. Yeah, they might have existed in the deep, deep, deep past. Gotcha. It might be like a, something similar to like what life was in the very, very beginning when life was just first coming together. Little baby life. Mm-hmm. And that one of the reasons that they use is RNA instead of DNA, which is closer to how viruses function. So that makes sense. But mm-hmm. obviously still hypothetical. Not, no one really No, It's not a mainstream belief that that is existed. No, this is all theory or hypothesis. This is like, yeah. oh, this is the thing that could have could exist. Could have happened. Uh, some of the smallest of these structures are one to two microns in diameter. Uh, so what people would argue is that like they are so, like micro one or two microns is extremely small. Yeah. Um, now that's barely an inch. <laughs> A micron is a thousand nanometers. Okay. okay. Um, so some of the structures are even larger. So they're the size of a micron, or they they can be as much as one to two thousand uh, nanometers. nanometers. So they yeah. can be. So some of the structures are big enough that they could very well fit into the size of bacteria, even uh, even the smaller ones. But what is true is that while there are some that are, you know, big and very much fit the size of bacteria, there are also some that are too small to contain all of the systems required for life, at least as we know it. Life's just too complicated. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of moving parts. Another argument he made is that if you look at the way that these structures are shaped, that they resemble colonies and biofilms, i.e. they look like what uh, bacteria look like, you know, how they grow and their sort of pattern of growth and things like that. Do you think filmmakers got upset that these scientists already took the term biofilm from them? Because now we have to use biopic, which is fine, but it's more, I guess it would be more accurate to say biofilm. I never thought about that. And now, I mean, but then people get it confused because some people say biopic, which sounds more sciencey than filming. So I it's just, biopic. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, complicated. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a chicken or the egg situation, which came first. I really but, don't know. To be honest, I don't even know what a biofilm is. Basically it's when bacteria grow into like, kind of like a little, like uh, at the bottom of a Petri dish, they take it over and it's like, you got this like kind of like layer of, of bacteria goo. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So that, that this is, this is another one of the arguments that this looks like the sort of shape and structure that bacterial colonies have. But people have pointed out that there are lots of times when things that look like biological shapes suggest life are later shown to have been created through inorganic processes. Just a coincidence. They look similar. Yeah. Now, this next one is going to get all the scientists real mad at me because it is jargony as hell. So uh, <laughs> the meteorite contains magnetite crystals of the unusual rectangular prism type and organized into domains all about the same size, indistinguishable from magnetite produced biologically on Earth and not matching any known non-biological magnetite that forms naturally on Earth. So magnetite is uh, is a crystal. Yeah. Um, and basically it's shape, uh, the shape of the magnetite in this asteroid. On Earth, magnetite crystals of that shape are typically made. Uh, we don't know of any way that is not biological for them to be made that way. But um, so that that's pretty good argument. 
argument. So okay. does this make sense? So it's imagine like, so magnetite are like little crystals. Yeah. And they find these little magnetite crystals in this shape that looks like a rectangular prism. Okay. And what they're saying is, as far as we know on Earth, there is no way to make magnetite crystals this shape that doesn't involve life. Okay. Is that true? As far as I know, um, okay. They, uh, as far as I know, no, uh, or uh, yes, no. but, um, uh, but magnetite yeah, so magnetite is um, like if we were if you were to find magnetite of this shape on Earth, it would be a very very strong biosignature. Gotcha. Be very I'm like that there is life here. Yes, this is like a, a telltale sign that something lived here. Life was here. Yeah. In 2001, though, a group of scientists were able to explain and produce carbonate globules that made similar types of magnetite crystals through an inorganic process by simulating conditions that Al likely experienced on Mars. Oh no, that sounds like an incredible smoking gun then of just, you say that it can't happen inorganically. How about we recreate exactly what Al probably went through? And uh, what do you know? It actually did create these exact mm -hmm. crystals. Yeah. Now, we'll circle back. So I, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm playing the, there's no, I'm kind of like, this is the argument. This is the counter argument. All right. Um, I'll be the judge. Yeah. You, you'll be, you'll be plaintiff and defendant and I will be the judge if aliens are real or not. Uh, so the, the next thing we got here is that it contains something called a uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are concentrated in regions containing the little globules of carbonate that had the magnetite in them. And these have been known to be indigenous. Now, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons or PAHs mm -hmm. uh, are possible starting are, are have been theorized to be a material for abiogenesis, i.e. the first like ah. synthesis of materials that created the earliest forms of life on Earth. PAHs or PAHs could have possibly created life. Mm -hmm. So around that weird magnetite that they found in the asteroid, there was this chemical that has been theorized to maybe be something that made, uh, that, that started life on Earth. Okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. Or at least interesting. But... <sighs> However, PAHs are also regularly found on objects such as asteroids, <laughs> comets, uh -huh. and meteorites, uh, and in deep space, all without the presence of life. Um, and those are places that we do know this asteroid was, uh, was in space at some point. Okay, so this stuff's just sort of all over the place, even with without life. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and there are some other organics like amino acids found that are probably more likely to be actual Antarctic contamination. So actually Earth stuff. Oh. So Ancient Aliens has, uh, the, the episode that I kind of took this from talked about panspermia and talked about it as the possible origin of human life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to kind of step back and be like, hey, um, you're talking about like theoretical, very simple bacteria when you're talking about like humanoid life that is so sophisticated that it can interbreed with humans. So uh, this uh, this kind of fits into other things we've been talking about, kind of the stuff we talked about with Trey about HAR1, which is the gene that is evolving fast that's unique to humans as like a sort of designer gene, but also uh, uh, if you study it, it looks very much like it's evolved. There's no sign of like, you know, genetic modification, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, can I just say it is wild to me how many ancient aliens theories are about the creation of life on Earth 
and they don't all coincide together. Like they have so many theories that don't fit the same. Cause then there's this one. And then there's also, you know, the, like the Anunnaki creating people like those, maybe those fit together. You'd like have to do a whole bunch of like juggling around to try and make all of these theory every, you know, 14, 15, 16 seasons of ancient aliens. They have stuff that doesn't even fit within their own, you know, they can't, all of their theories can't be true. You know what I mean? Like even what do they actually believe is what I wonder. Uh, They believe that if you put this on TV, people will watch it and then you can put ads on it and make money. Oh, well, we would never put ads on anything (laughs) that we did. We have too much dignity for that. Buy mattress. But the thing is, like, when it comes to DNA and stuff like that, like, the idea of us being designer, genetically designed. Yeah. We, like, there's no evidence that our DNA looks like it has any sort of designer in it. It's very messy. It's full of all sorts of strange non-coding things. It's full of, like, retroviruses and random mutations that have been accumulating but haven't, you know, they weren't detrimental. They just built up over uh, the you know, billions of years that life has existed. And, um, you know, looking at the human genome, even the HAR1 part doesn't look, looks like it's evolved. So, well, there you go. You know, it's funny. It's it's funny that you mention all that because I think there's, you know, growing up, learning about evolution, it was always told to me that like, whether traits are beneficial or not decide whether they're passed down. But you'd mentioning that DNA is really messy and we just have a whole bunch of stuff. I, the truth is, as far as I understand it, that as long as it's not detrimental, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a gene doesn't have to be beneficial, but as long as it's not, you know, like going to immediately be detrimental, then like, yeah, you're fine. No, we'll pass it down. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We're learning very quickly the power of, evolution with all these uh, COVID variants, like how, how it works is, you know, genes mutate either through, you know, encoding errors when it's like, you know, unzipping and rezipping up DNA over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, radiation, stray, like, you know, uh, you know, shooting off electron hits and breaks a part of it. Um, something gets plugged in backwards, like, you know, this is messy or like a virus comes in and viruses hijack your DNA to take over the cell to reproduce itself. But sometimes they just get in there and wait uh, or it just doesn't something doesn't click off and all of a sudden they just inject their DNA into yours and it's yeah. just there. And while some like, you know, actively kill you or they they make you, you know, worse off because it's, you know, screwing around with your source code. Mm-hmm. Most of it doesn't really make a change at all and just kind of accumulates. And in very rarely something comes that's actually beneficial. Yeah. And that's basically the evolu- evolution or shouldn't say beneficial. That's the bad way to think about it. It makes you more adapted to your environment. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely it's a different mindset of looking at it than how I was taught in schools where I was always like only the beneficial mutations get passed down. And the reality is no, just like a whole bunch of stuff gets passed down, whether it's whether it's, you know, uh, helpful or not helpful in any capacity. It just happens. Yeah. Your cells are being blasted with uh, mutagens and things all the time. And Mm -hmm. most of the time, nothing happens. Sometimes you get cancer. Cancer is like Basically, like uh, when a whole bunch of like a whole bunch of mutations happen kind of in sequence and all of the genes for shutting off reproduction, uh, like kind of like telling the cell to, hey, chill out. You may you've reproduced enough goes away and it just keeps reproducing out of control. 
Um, and then, you know, very occasionally, like, th- uh, something is beneficial. The one that comes to mind right now, uh, because, you know, it's wintertime, so I'm very pale, uh, <laughs> is that um, shrinking the melanin uh, cells in skin in people in northern climates uh, made us more adapted to getting vitamin D when there's not a lot of sunlight. Um, and that's why oh. skin color tends to have a gradient based on how, uh, basically how close you are to the equator because of how much sun you're exposed to. And the exception, which would be the indigenous people of like Northern Canada, uh, like the Inuit people, mm-hmm. it's because their diet was so rich in vitamin D that it didn't select for that pressure. So oh, it didn't that's interesting. That's interesting. What would be the evolutionary advantage for me being bald, having that gene? That is because the human species was designed to live long enough to have children. And that's about it. Uh, oh, at right. that, after that point, after that point, uh, it doesn't really matter. And we have a lot of hormones in our body, specifically the male body that are designed to make it be big and strong and hunt mammoth. But mm. once it uh, gets past a certain point, it kind of just the, the same hormones just start making us fall apart. That's <laughs> um. why males tend to not live uh, as long as females because um, there's a lot of stuff about testosterone that oh. is not good for your body. Would you say I'm more of an alpha male or a sigma male? Because I'm definitely one of the two. <laughs> definitely alpha. What's it called? Uh, uh, baldness is a sign of high testosterone. So Take that, betas, a concept <laughs> that doesn't exist. Yeah. Anyway, let's that get back. That was a really long digression that about That was a really genetics. long tangent. <laughs> Listen, I read The Emperor of All Maladies last year, so I need to tell somebody that I kind of know what cancer is. Let's get back to this meteor yeah. that I also assume must be high in testosterone for it also has no hair that I've heard of so far. <laughs> Now let's get back to Al. So it's not been conclusively shown that the meteorite, uh, how the features of the meteorite were formed. For example, McKay would say that how, um, how they were able to recreate some of that stuff in a lab. McKay would argue that they did it with what he called unrealistically pure raw materials as a starting point. And so it doesn't actually explain the features described. And according to McKay, a plausible integrantic model must explain simultaneously all of the properties that we and others have suggested as possible biogenic properties of this meteorite. So not only do you have to have like a non-biological explanation for, you know, thing one, thing two, thing three, but you have to explain all of them. And what he would argue is that, yeah, some of them and a lot of the ones they have explained were done under laboratory um, conditions, which, you know, that's not how nature Mm, happened. I see, I see. So in case fire and back. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I will say that the rest of the scientific community politely disagrees with McKay. Scientists are so polite. Mm -hmm. Um, And that uh, looking at things like because it's so based on looking at the shape of different things in the stone, uh, the scientific consensus is that morphology alone can't be used to unambiguously detect life. Um, Interpreting something by its shape is very subjective and its use alone is subject to error and misinterpretation. Fair enough. Yeah. Can't rely on those shapes. Now there is, so so I think that when we're talking about McKay, we should probably get into just the idea that in the search for E.T., for a lot of us, I imagine, we really want aliens to be real. It's really like, you know, it, 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 we want, like, we want to know that we're not alone in the universe. We want answers. It would answers. be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to take that position on this show where I think it would be 
fun or at the very least my catchphrase interesting uh, to discover that aliens are out there. It would make me profoundly happy to discover it followed by me being profoundly terrified. Yes. Because I'm sure there are impl- there are implications people have discussed about what the answer could be and uh, yeah. Well the good um, news is that terror is only going to last for about a week and a half until it makes its way off of TikTok and then. That's true. So that means that when it comes to things like this, we have to really, really, really control our motivated reasoning because we're going to want everything to be life. And when it is life, we're going to have to be very rigorous about getting rid of any other explanation because everyone wants it to be life. We know that. Uh, So we need to be, we have to be strict. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I mean, if you're going into it asking the question, is this life? Already, that seems like a biased question instead of, because you could just be asking what is this, but instead of you're going in saying, is this life? It's going to skew your perspective a little bit, I feel. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that Al's, the discovery of Al, the 1996 announcement and everything that came with it does have a silver lining. So I, I want to like, you know, uh, uh, walk away with a little bit of, this is the part where Tristan makes you a little hopeful. Oh, there you what go. a change. I love this for a change. Yeah. So uh, I got this from a space.com article. But yeah, Al did not conclusively prove the existence of life on Earth, but the research that was done into it did benefit science quite a bit. The 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 announcement and discovery and all the attention that Al got not only like, you know, really kickstarted the field of astrobiology, but also uh, it spurred interest in exploring Mars. Um, the yeah. Mars rovers, the reconnaissance orbiter, Curiosity, the Mars Expression, this Beagle 2 Mars lander, all can be traced back to ALH 84001. The excitement of the potential that on Mars's surface, that there is clues that, that at some point there might have been life on that surface has driven so much scientific research and so many amazing feats of engineering to put human-made devices on the surface of an entire other planet. Yeah. We are getting to the point where we're like considering sending people to Mars in 2030. And in the 2030s, sorry. And like, we would never be even close to these kinds of things if we weren't, if it wasn't for the excitement that was driven up by Al. If it wasn't for Al, the little meteor that could, but didn't create life. (laughs) Yeah, one quote about it says, the ALH 84001 announcement, despite whether you are a believer of the hypothesis or not, has clearly been the guiding idea for the development of a new interdisciplinary field of astrobiology. This must be viewed as positive for the field of scientific discovery. Without the paper, the field of astrobiology may never have come to exist. That's absolutely wild to think about how an entire branch of science came from this little space potato and (laughs) it's still being it's still being like pioneered to this day and and studied and and we're you know obviously we've had lena on the the show i'm upset that i missed that episode it was very good but that's so so incredible to think about how this really important field of of study just really didn't exist before this little guy or at least it didn't really like you know like it didn't become like this like like you know department that has money and does experiments and like yeah, yeah. so there, there's there's like a lot uh it uh, even though like you know it turned it it's probably not aliens sorry, sorry. but um but it, it, the, the fact that it looked like it was for so long uh generated a lot of interest and to this day like 
Uh, as I talked about just now, Curiosity is finding more biosignatures on the surface of Mars. And I and sometimes like I know that like, you know, this is kind of normalized. We grew up in the space age. We know we do stuff in space all the time. The fact that we have a remote control car on another planet. Yeah, is wild. That's bonkers. And now we are finding molecules and stuff on there and reporting back about it is absolutely wild. That's so fun. Mm-hmm. Look at us. We did it. Mario Kart on the, on Mars. Marzio Kart. Thank you. And I will say as a postscript that the scientists behind the 96 study, including McKay, still support their original thesis. They still say that there's been no scientific data that has been presented that disproves any of their four original lines of evidence, the ones I kind of went through. And where the disagreement comes is not is in the interpretation of data. So they're still sticking to their guns. I mean, you know, I honestly, I guess I wish them all the best. I'm not as swayed, but I also am just learning about this all for the first time uh, this past hour. So maybe, you know, I haven't done the research. I haven't done the studies. I've heard Tristan talk about them and it just, it sounds like it's probably not aliens. Yeah, it's probably not. But I will say in this case, compared to all the other ones, if it's, uh, if one day it turned out that they were vindicated and Al actually was a fossilized bacteria, like if something that curiosity digs up really like, you know, makes the connection come home, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. This is probably the closest that we've got to something that might be something interesting uh in the future even if it's probably not i like this though this is an episode where typically we have much more definitive answers about things and i like that at least a small sliver of this is you know what we'll wait and see we'll wait (laughs) and see and we'll check back in the future which gives you listeners more reason to subscribe to this podcast to hear us talk about it in the future i referenced a uh, paper about al that came out in 2020 so there's still work being done on this asteroid to this day so it's yeah the, the 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 quest continues the final frontier yeah. Um, but yeah, that is the charmingly named ALH84001. Affectionately known as Al. Yeah, we're going to get some Al fan art, maybe. Get some Al fan everyone. Just, just like a little black potato. <laughs> just draw a little black potato and then everyone just write. Can, that's the best. It's the best thing to do fan art because you can just, it's so you easy to draw. You can just draw a little black potato. Everyone can do a little blob and then just write, thanks, Al. Just write, thanks, Al, and have this potato and send it to us at Probs Not Aliens on on Twitter. That would nice. be very fun if you could do that. We did start getting fan art of me with a really tiny head. I hate it. Thank you so much. Yes, that's great. It's, uh, it's, it's been fun. I loved your response when someone sent in a drawing of my head being real tiny. And Tristan's response was, that's a little big. <laughs> And he replied and made it even made smaller. It smaller. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much to everyone who follows us over at Probs Not Aliens on Twitter. That is one of the best uh, com- like communities that, uh, that I'm a part of. It's so fun. You guys are all amazing. Thank you to everyone who wrote reviews as well. I want to uh, say those, say a couple names really quickly. Thank you to Debosaurus, Alex Homestock, and uh, thank you to Top Digs for writing uh, all reviews. And we have a lot more reviews and, and we just really appreciate the support. It's been amazing. Yeah. And uh, of course, we this is our second project. We both have YouTube channels where we do yes. our own respective thing. I talk about the past 
podcast, I Run Step Back, where I talk about how history is important and how it affects us in our ongoing day. And it's usually uh, sad, but I'm going to try and fix that. And Scott, what do you do? Uh, I have a YouTube channel called NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C, where I make video essays that explore art through curiosity and vulnerability. It's a lot of superheroes and comic books and cartoons. It's it's a lot of fun. I have some fantastic videos coming up, and hopefully uh, they are less sad and more hopeful and inspirational. That's what mm-hmm. is that? That's going to be our goal for for this year, maybe with <laughs> between all of our stuff. Who knows? Yeah, we're the, we're the two masks, the two drama masks. <laughs> Um, <laughs> One's happy and one is uh, more knowledgeable. <laughs> and of course, podcasts don't have a recommendation algorithm like YouTube does. So we only grow through word of mouth. So if you think this is a show that your friend would like, family would like, dog would like, I don't know yeah. how it would work. Um, please share it. Um, we grow because... People say, hey, listen to this cool thing. We've been hearing about people saying that their friends are getting tired of them subjecting <laughs> them to the podcast. So. so, so, so wonderful. Thank you so much to everyone who's been sharing the podcast, who's been uh, you know, tagging us and stuff, who's been retweeting our stuff, who's just been talking about their friends about it. We have a super easy website to remember. It's probs. Uh, the website is probsnotaliens.com. Uh, it's got links to everything, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google podcast everything it's easy to share with your friends if they're if, if they listen to podcasts of any kind our podcast is on there and that site can help uh, help them find it and until next time friends the truth is out there probably I feel good about that. I feel good about that one more than ever today.